0: Take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. I'm gonna warn you, we're gonna use our Bibles. I'm gonna read a lot of scripture tonight, Uh, not just at the beginning, but throughout the the message. (laughs) I really am gonna let the Bible speak for itself tonight, but I want to help you. Uh, I really, really do. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. We're gonna start reading in verse number 8. We're gonna talk about something. Uh, that probably you've never never heard quite this way. Uh, don't see the need for it most of the time, but there's a practical application at the end I want to give you to this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, look at verse number 8. Harden not your hearts. Now watch this next statement. As in the day... As, uh, I'm sorry, as in the provocation, in the day of the temptation in the wilderness... When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed. Brethren, lest there be any of you in an uh, evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. while it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some when they had heard did provoke, how be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses? But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? How'd you like to God how'd you like God to talk about you as your carcass falling? I'd say God was a little ticked off here, wouldn't you? Look at verse 18. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. I want you to notice in verse 15, and also in verse 8, God talks about this provocation. The provocation. And I want to help you tonight. God warns us, God warns his people, especially the Hebrew people. Uh, not to harden their hearts. You see, the Hebrew people had a past and a reputation for hearing what God said, but hardening their hearts and not doing what God said. Uh, and God was warning the Hebrew people here once again. He said, look, don't do what your forefathers did in in." Provoking, the word provocation means provoking. He said, they provoked me in the wilderness. He said, matter of fact, they made me so mad that I made sure all those that did, their carcasses fell in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, say, what's that mean? In other words, they died. Uh, their bodies rotted in the wilderness. And the Bible said that they did not enter into that rest, speaking of Canaan or the promised land. So uh, this day of provocation, uh, the the provoking of God, uh, what was this day of provocation? What was the, the provoking that made God so angry? Now, everybody listen to me for just a second. Think of all the things the Hebrew people saw God do. From the time that God brought Moses back to Egypt. Moses goes to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. He said, I'm not going to do it. And he said, well, then God's going to bring judgment upon you. And God sends ten plagues to the land of egypt the plagues hit the egyptians but not the hebrew people turned the water to blood they their cattle the people everything that moved had lice they had the frogs they had the flies i I could go on and on and on and on the brain of the cattle and so on and so forth all the way to the death angel and the passover To where the firstborn in every household was killed at midnight that night. And the Bible says there was not an house in Egypt that was not affected. Imagine every home in this area affected by death in the same night. Now they watched God do that. Matter of fact... God told Moses to tell them, go to your neighbors and borrow their their best of their clothes, the best of their jewels to go out and worship because when you go, I'm going to let you spoil the Egyptians from right out from underneath their noses. So they went to their neighbors and borrowed all their fancy stuff, said, look, we're going to go. We don't have anything, but we want our best. Could you loan us? And they took of the spoils of Egypt and that night... Passover took place, and they said, get out of town. So they took all their stuff with them. He, 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 he. God gave them their finances for the journey. Now watch this. God leads them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They leave Egypt. They go south, which means they go up in elevation. They get to the Red Sea. They start complaining Mind you, they've just seen God do ten miracles. God opens the Red Sea, holds the Egyptian army back. They get across the Red Sea. Three and a half to five million Hebrews cross over on dry ground. The Egyptians plow through the cloud. Their chariot wheels start falling off. They said, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't good. Their God must be mad at us. And they get, all get out into the middle of the Red Sea. God tells Moses to lift his rod. And the rod of God goes up and the water comes on top of them. And they all go blub, 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 blub down the bottom of the deep blue, deep blue sea. There they stand on the eastern shore of the of the Red Sea. And their enemy is gone. They're watching the bodies wash up on shore. Then they start complaining. We ain't got no food or water. You brought us out here to die, God. Moses, wish we were back eating watermelons and leeks and onions. Now that is a strange combination. God provides manna. God provides water from the rock. According to John chapter 3, that rock followed them and that rock was Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. He said, I'm not going to take you up through the Gaza strip and through the land of Philistia. He said, I'm going to take you around the other side and you can enter in by Jericho because I know you're afraid of the Philistines. I'll take you the long way around. And they get to the brink of the promised land, just weeks away from where they walked. They get there. They send in 12 spies. 10 come back and say, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's great, but we're too afraid we can't beat them. They're all giants and we're going to get whooped. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go. God promised it. Let's, let's put the pedal to the metal and let's, let's do what God said. And they got outvoted 10 to 2. Now watch this. God said, okay, you espied the land for 40 days. I'm going to make one year for every day you espied the land and would not go in. And you'll wander in this wilderness for 40 years. And everyone over the age of 20 is going to die and your carcass will fall in the wilderness. That was the day of provocation. They would not go in. He said, look, I've sent my fear, my dread before you. Just go in, they'll leave. They're more afraid of you than not. If you go to the book of Joshua, when they finally go into Jericho, if you read what they said, they said, Look, we knew 40 years ago you were coming. We were afraid 40 years ago this was coming. We were ready to go 40 years ago. What took you so long? God was so angry at them that they had provoked him with their unbelief and their hard hearts. Isn't it amazing how much God can do for us and let one little trouble come and we're ready to throw the whole thing out? Makes no sense at all to me. So what is the day of provocation? This is when the Hebrews chose not to go into Canaan when and God was ready to kill them all. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. I don't think that's the verse I wanted. To be quite honest with you. I'm not exactly sure what oh verse uh, chapter 3. I'm sorry. Chapter three. We're, 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 look at the first verse again. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him that was appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Notice God's talking about to Moses here, and about Moses here. Uh, go to. Let me see if this is the right verse. Uh, I was up much of the night last night, didn't sleep much, pardon me. Hebrews chapter 13, let me see what this says here. Uh, It can't be Hebrews. I think I'm supposed to be in Numbers. Hang on here. I don't know why I wrote Hebrews, but I'm real sure I'm supposed to be in the book of Numbers. Yes, let's go to Numbers chapter 13. proof that it's okay to make mistakes here. Brother Anthony can wear that coat and I can write the wrong book of the Bible. Uh. Amen? (laughs) Numbers chapter 13, look at verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel of every tribe of their fathers. Shall you send a man, every one a, what? Ruler among them. Oh yeah, they sent... Twelve politicians. That was the problem. Look at verse number 17. And Moses uh, sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, Few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men come unto Hamath. Now that you have to understand that's the southeastern side of Israel. Okay, That's south of the Dead Sea on the southeast side of Israel there. And they ascended by the south. You have to understand something where it says they ascended by the south. That's, that makes you think you're going north, but they're going up in elevation. Remember, Israel's built like a teepee goes this way. You have the coastline goes up to the mountains and then it comes back down to the Jordan River in the, in the Dead Sea, in the Sea of Galilee. And they're on the southeastern part and they said go up from the south. So they're going up into the mountain to get over the top and come down. Make sense to everybody? All right, it's a little different than how we think. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron and Ahemian, and Shishishai and Talmane and the children of Anak. Uh, now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came unto the brook of Eschil It cut down from thence a branch. Notice it says a branch. Okay, cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bear it between two upon a staff. It was so big that it took two people with a pole to carry one branch that carried a cluster of grapes. Now, them's either some big grapes, or that's an awful big cluster, or the combination thereof. And they brought uh, of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the Brook of Eskel because of the cluster of grapes with the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching in the land after 40 days. Now we're going to keep uh, reading here for a little bit. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, under the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They told them and said, We came to the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites they didn't say anything about the mosquito bites, uh, dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which uh, we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that were, uh, that we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. Uh, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. So we were in their sight and all the congregation "...lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness." Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. They're ready to turn tail and go all the way back to Egypt into bondage. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthuna which were uh, of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us unto this land and give it to us. A land which floweth with milk and honey, only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us, Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not, but all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Now, we're going to read two more verses in a second, but hang on, look at me. Here they are, ready to turn tail, run back, kill Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, they're pleading with them not to, and all of a sudden the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. God comes down. Now watch what God says and does. Verse eleven, and the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them. It will make thee of a great nation mightier than they. Uh, Let me stop right there. God said, Moses, I'm going to kill them all. I'll let you be the father of the next nation. And you can, I'll just pick up with you and go on. (laughs) Look at verse 13. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtst up the people and and thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that thou art uh, among this people, and that the Lord art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and thou goest before them by daytime, and the pillar of cloud, and the pillar of fire by night. Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man... And the nations which have heard of the fame of thee will speak, uh, speak saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land, which he sware unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. He said, God, I don't think that's a good idea because you're going to hurt your own reputation. So God decides in the rest of the chapter here that he's going to judge them for 40 years And they're going to wander in that wilderness for 40 years. And everybody from the age of 20 and older are going to die. And their carcass will fall in the wilderness. Not because only that they wouldn't go in. But they wouldn't listen to God and go in. They rebelled against God with a hard heart. After they had seen God do it over and over and over and over and over and over over again. The Bible says that they provoked God, when you get God bad enough to come down and say, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth, that's getting pretty rough. Skip down to verse 22. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these 10 times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely... They shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he hath another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein uh, he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And uh, the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation, which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoke in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jethuna and Joshua the son of Nun. That doesn't mean his parents were Catholic, by the way. Uh, But your little ones, which said uh, should be prey, will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall they uh, they shall fall in the this wilderness. Your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. Can you see how upset God is right here? We won't finish the rest of the chapter, but uh, it gives you an idea how God was provoked to anger. God had proven his ability to care for these Hebrews. And yet they still complained. Yet they still rebelled. Uh, What about the manna? What about the water? What about every need being met? What about the protection? The pillar of cloud? The pillar of fire? The ten plagues of Egypt? The Passover? On and on and on and on and on it goes. Oh, God's not going to help us. We're going to kill all the Moses and Aaron and uh, Joshua and Caleb, and we'll appoint somebody, and they'll lead us back to Egypt. Well, how are you going to get over the Red Sea, dum-dum? I'm going to make a statement here. This is why we need to obey God and not worry about the ten rulers who think they know more than God. Experts in the world don't know more than God. They don't even know where they came from. My dad would say they don't have enough brains to know how to blow their own nose. There's not a man in the world that compares to God. (laughs) Any of you that have been here A while when we first bought this ground. Do you remember the comments you made? This place preacher? Where are you going to put a building here? I even put construction tape out to show you where. I don't see it. How are you going to get a building there? Well you're sitting in it. You're sitting in it. I remember preachers coming by. What'd you buy this ground for? You can't see it? Nope, I can. God gave the man of God the vision he needed 14,237,316 plastic pots. Yeah, 70 some tires. God knows how much poison sumac out there, and Lord have mercy. Uh, if you only knew how bad it really was but I could see it I kept hearing people say preacher I don't see it I don't see it well you don't have to I can when they finally started going up preacher I didn't see it there I know but I did and all of a sudden it just appeared out of nowhere after three years of fighting the county Maybe we ought not worry about what the experts say and let's worry about what God says. How did we get through COVID? Doing what God said. Not worrying about what the experts said. Number two, don't let your heart get hardened to God. Don't let your heart get hardened to God. The Hebrews under Moses hardened their heart to what God said and they told God that they couldn't do what God said. Everybody listen to me very carefully here. Be careful when you hear truth preached and you say, well, I can't do that. God never gives a command. He doesn't give you the ability to fulfill. Amen. Period. Well, I don't like that. Oh, well, God didn't ask you whether you liked it. Brother Jim, when my dad made me eat cooked peas, I didn't like them either. But after I hid them under the chair cushion one time and forgot about them and Mom found them a few days later, I began to eat cooked peas. Amen? Amen. Did I like them? No, but I learned I could swallow them puppies whole. Say, why? Because it took me about three days to sit down after my dad found them. Amen. He had a board of education meeting and was applied to the seat of knowledge. You don't, we have no right to tell God that we can't obey him. Well, I'm just being humble. No, you're being foolish. Humility isn't saying I can't when I can. Humility is not taking the credit for it. It's giving God the credit for it. Not you taking the credit for it. Boy, that's good stuff. God never commands or leads without giving us the ability to obey. That means you can give a gospel tract to somebody. That means you can talk about Jesus. That means you can be at church. That means you can read your Bible. That means you can pray. That means whatever's preached, you can do. Well, preacher, I don't think I can. Well, there's a lot of things I've done I didn't think I could do. (laughs) I remember the first time Brother Hiles asked me to preach for him while he was gone. Have you ever tried to stand in front of 7,000 people and even talk? How'd you like to be the keynote speaker for 40 minutes one night? In the pulpit of the greatest church builder, this side of Jesus. My knees were knocking together so bad, I had nightmares for weeks. I'm not kidding. I I woke up in a terror, Brother Anthony, about two months before I had to preach. I woke up. I had this nightmare that kept coming about once a week that I'd get up to preach and I couldn't find my outline in my Bible. And I'm fumbling around trying to, and I'm trying to figure out, and, oh, I left it in my office, folks. And I have to leave the auditorium, run through the buildings, go to my office, and run back. And when I walk out, Brother Hiles is standing there said, it's okay, son. Not important enough to you to get your outline. Just sit down. <sighs> I had that nightmare for weeks. Crossed my heart and hope Brother Evan dies. Uh, but uh, I, I mean this. I had an outline in my Bible. In the chair where I was going to sit, I had one put in the songbook. I knew what chair I was sitting in. I had taped one to the underside of the pulpit. <laughs> my secretary sang in the choir and sat in the second row of the choir. She had a copy of it. And my wife was sitting on the third row about where Mrs. Lopez is, and she had a copy of it. I made sure I wasn't leaving that room. I had full proof. After it was over, I had to have security guards let me back in the auditorium and peel out stuff from everywhere. They said, what are you doing? I remember (laughs) that Dale was in. He said, what are you doing, brother? I said, I wasn't getting caught without an outline. He said, I said, if you had the nightmare I had, you'd have done the same thing, I promise you. I was scared to death. I didn't think I could do it, but I got through it. You know that years later, I was at pastor school. A man walked up to me and said, do you remember a sermon you preached when Brother How's was on vacation? I said, yeah. He said, I surrendered my life to preach that night when I went home. Just finished college and I'm going out to the mission field. Amen. I didn't know that. You know, you just need to learn to obey God and figure out how later. I've learned not to figure out how first. I just say yes, sir, and then figure it out. As my daddy taught me, if I say jump, you don't ask how high, jump, and then I'll tell you how high. When God says go, just start going, and start obeying, he'll tell you what to do next. Everybody doing okay? Harden. To make stubborn, fierce opposition. What's God working on you that you're being stubborn about? What's that thing that you won't give in to God with? What are you giving God fierce opposition about? We're not the ones to determine what we can and cannot do. God is. Where would we get off thinking we know more than God? God. Sin causes hardness. Pride. Pride causes hardness. Uh, go back to Hebrews chapter 3 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 3. Look at verse number 10. Whoops, that's James. That would not have helped us at all, I promise you. Hebrews chapter 3, look at verse number 10. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my way, so I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But ex, Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hardening comes by sin, our pride. I don't want to embarrass myself. Well, wear Brother Anthony's coat. You won't be embarrassed, amen? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he's got it on. You say, why? Because it shows he's humble. And I learned a long time ago, the Holy Spirit cannot dominate until you're willing to embarrass your flesh. Till you're willing to make a mistake in public and let the Holy Spirit kick in, you really haven't experienced the Holy Spirit power yet. You know, we need, we need to not let sin stop us from obeying God. We need to let our pride Alone so that we can obey God fully. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this statement. This should hurt a little bit. If you trust him enough with your eternity, how come you can't trust him with your life here? You trust him enough to take you to heaven. You don't trust him enough to help you live the rest of your life here? What sense does that make? Number three, and I'll hurry. Provocation comes by our pride and our stubbornness. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I used this verse, I believe, last Sunday morning, but I want to just touch it for a second tonight. Children, verse number 1, obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Why? Because if you don't obey your mom and dad, they might kill you. Verse number four. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Oh. In other words, we are not to provoke... People to anger. I preached a sermon a few years ago. It was called, Don't Poke the Bear. You poke the bear too many times, the bear's going to grumble and going to reach out and touch someone. Amen? You might wake that bear up and you're going to have more of a fight on your hands than you want. What does the word provoke mean? It means uh, when we uh, provoke someone... <laughs> Okay, I'm not gonna look at anybody because somebody's probably said this this week. Well, that doesn't bother me. Why are you letting it bother you? That's called provoking somebody. Just because it doesn't affect you the way it affects somebody else doesn't mean it's their problem and not yours. Because if you're the one doing the poking, put your finger away. Everybody doing okay? Boy, that's getting quiet in here. Oh, coon dog got a coon in the tree, amen. Mm hmm. Uh, statements like, you just need to get over it. Well, can I tell you something? If you caused it, they ain't going to get over it with your attitude. You're provoking someone to wrath. You're, 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 you're provoking the anger. Uh, Love is not about me. Love is about somebody else. If I love my wife, I'm not gonna tell her, just get over it. I've been married for thirty-four and a half years. There's some things she still hadn't got over yet. But I also don't go back and remind her of it so I don't get poked again, amen. You know, some things you just avoid. You know, you poke the bear and get swatted, you you decide don't poke that thing again, amen? (laughs) She was, anyway, I better not say it. She's not here to defend myself. Love is not about me, it's about the object. It's not how I feel about something, it's how does somebody else feel about it. And when I purposely say something to get them riled up or that I know they disagree with, I have just provoked them. That's why I don't spend time with some people uh, on a regular basis because I know we disagree so much, we aren't going to have anything to talk about with uh, one of us getting upset. So instead of provoking one another, I avoid it. Does that make sense to anybody? Some of you just love poking. Well, I'll, uh, I got over that a long time ago and started poking some folks. And my dad grabbed a hold of my finger and near broke that puppy. He said, Now nah, go poke yourself. He took that thing and pop, 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 pop. Oh, man, he was digging in. He said, How do you like it? And I said, I don't. He said, Then quit poking everybody else. Well, that's not how you should have handled it. I quit poking. Everybody doing all right? You see, love dies to its own opinion and gives the other what the other wants. What you want doesn't matter. When you expect someone else to do this for you, (laughs) you're provoking. Well, you ought not be that way with me. Oh, you're looking for somebody to treat you a certain way. That's not love either. That's pride. Everybody doing okay? Uh, I'm going to say something. My wife and I don't always have the same taste in things. I'm not talking about food tastes. That too. She can taste. I (laughs) can't. My wife likes her steak medium well boot leather now me knock it in the horns cut it off run it over a candle twice put it on the plate knock the moo out and we're good amen i don't mind it bloody i don't even mind it cold in the middle i i don't mind it even a little chilly in the in the middle doesn't bother me i can eat it that way tell preacher okay we don't agree so i put her steak on and five minutes later i put mine on Get them done at the same time. I don't complain about it. If she gets up and put hers in the microwave for a minute because it's not done enough for her, that's her problem. I'll give her my boot next time and she can eat it. (laughs) Doesn't bother me. I don't take offense at it. Well, I got it just the right. Maybe I didn't. I don't get upset over it. Say, why? Why pick a fight over that? There are people in here, you've fought over how done a steak is. I guarantee it. Or how not done it was. And argue over, well you ought to just shove it in your mouth and eat it anyway. That's called provoking. My wife and I don't always have the same taste in furniture. When we built our new house, I took her out, we sold all of our old furniture, we sold everything except the family heirloom stuff. And even some of that we got rid of because it was junk now wait a minute listen to this statement you know I didn't pick out one piece of furniture I went with her we measured some things she said well what do you want I said I want what you want she said well do you think this will fit and we we looked at a dining room set, and I said, honey, that's a little bit big for the dining room. Where are you going to walk? Oh, that's a good point. I said, we can get it in there, but how many people are you having on, planning on having over? Said, you couldn't have put them in with a table that big, trust me. It just took up the space of about 12 people. <coughs> so we... We worked together on it. I didn't pick out the bed frame. She did. I don't pick out the sheets. I don't care if they're pink, yellow, brown, green. I don't care what the lights are out. I'm sleeping. What do I give a flip what color the sheets on the bed are? Why am I sleeping on pink sheets? Go ahead, be stupid you got your eyes closed in the dark. How do you know what color they are? Everybody doing all right? Man, I'm having fun up here. I I didn't decorate my house. My wife did. Now, she didn't decorate my office. The office is mine. The house is hers. Inside's hers. Outside's mine. We agreed to that. You see, I let her pick the inside because that's her castle. She can have it her way. She's there far more than I am. Let her have her tastes. doesn't matter what I would want. I want her happy so I don't give a flip. Everybody doing all right? You want to have a happy home? I just taught you how. Don't provoke one another. She'll ask my preferences. But sometimes it's not what she wants. Guess what? She gets what she wants. The outside of the house of mine. Sometimes I ask her for her preference. She said, honey, I don't know. You're good at that stuff. not me. Well, I want to do this. "Eh." Well, just trust me on this one because I know this is going to work. Later, she'll say, boy, am I glad you did that. Glad you didn't listen to me. I said, me too. Not very often, but this time I'm glad I I knew this would work. I was trying to get you on my side first. You know, we never push what we want in somebody else's area. I don't care how my wife wants to rearrange furniture. I have no say-so where it goes unless she asks. If she puts it in front of the front door, she must think I'm tired when I come home and I need to sit down right away. Say, are you going to say anything? Nope. Not going to do it. Say why? Why? Her house on the inside. Some of you would grumble about it. Not me. I'll crawl over the stupid thing. Now, if my bed's sitting outside, I know I got troubles. Everybody <laughs> doing all right? Uh, but you get what I'm saying here? We, we fuss over the wrong things and we provoke one another to wrath. We provoke God and others when we get too stubborn and too full of pride and press for our desires over what we're supposed to have. How about we quit provoking God? How about we quit provoking each other? Well, I know what buttons to push. Well, keep your finger off the button. It's that simple. i got to shut it down. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Crash land. here we go. How guilty are we of provoking one another? How guilty are we of provoking God with our disobedience, our stubbornness? What area of the Christian life are you unwilling to conquer for God? You trust Him to take you to heaven, but you don't trust Him to help you live this life? What's wrong?